Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the third Sunday after the Epiphany, January 23rd, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. can be found on page 1596 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. And he came up to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought to him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Heavenly Father, these are your words and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're just a couple of hours, maybe even just one hour away from another annual meeting for our congregation. This will be my 11th annual meeting as your pastor. Over the past decade, we've seen a lot of change and we've had a lot of ups and downs. But the question before us today in some ways is how do we define success? If someone came to us and asked about the year of the Lord's favor, what would we point to? How would we demonstrate God's favor in our congregation? I imagine that as a very small church, we might have different answers than others would come up with. The Lord has blessed us, but maybe not in the visible ways he has blessed others. How? As he blessed us. On the one hand, we've seen our numbers grow and then shrink 
and then stabilize, having had more than 75 individuals move away from the congregation through the last several years. We've had a number of significant repairs to make on this old building, but we've been also blessed to make a number of nice and necessary upgrades, including new windows in the parsonage and a video system that lets us live stream all our worship services on YouTube. We are coming through a global pandemic that has upset and altered every one of our lives. And yet all of the members who were here at the beginning of the pandemic have been back during and since. And in the end, I firmly believe that if we're measuring success, if we're trying to quantify the year of the Lord's favor, there's one answer for us to give. The word of God is still preached. The sacraments are still rightly administered. When people leave this building every Sunday, they leave having had their sins forgiven. And they leave having experienced the fellowship of the saints. The year of the Lord's favor is indeed going to be our focus this morning, but just like some today might misidentify or misunderstand God's blessing, they did the same thing at Nazareth 2,000 years ago. What happens when people misunderstand God's blessing, try to manipulate Jesus, and end up in conflict with him instead? Let's turn our eyes back to Luke 4 and find out. And first, as we enter into the text, we see the expectations of the people. At the point when we start our gospel lesson, Jesus has already begun his public ministry and has already begun to increase in fame and notoriety. We see that in the previous two verses that weren't read this morning. And Jesus returned from the desert and the temptation in the wilderness and the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through the surrounding country, and he taught in all their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus is beginning to develop a reputation. People know about him. He's got a following. He's famous. For those of you who have grown up in rural America and experienced any type of homecoming for a favorite son, you can probably and easily imagine what the scene is like as Jesus walks into town and into the synagogue. Now, some might not understand this, but having grown up in North Dakota, I can tell you exactly what this is like. There was a time in my mid-twenties where I had played high school sports against every active professional athlete from North Dakota. That sounds impressive, till you realize that's three people. <laughs> All three people. I played high school baseball against Jim Kleinsaucer. I played junior high football against Brooks Bollinger, who might, only a couple of you might remember that name. And I played high school basketball against Andrew LeClaire. And if anyone in this room knows who Andrew LeClaire was, I'll be very impressed. 
But here's the thing. In North Dakota, those three individuals were a big deal. When they come back and they visit, they're a big deal. Even maybe more obscure, I can say that in high school, I sat in the same desk as Virgil Hill. I almost guarantee that means nothing to nobody here. That was a pretty, Steve knows, Jeff knows who Virgil Hill was, and almost no one else, right? But if you're famous from a small town, people talk about you, and they still talk about you, and they still talk about you. This is what's going on to Nazareth. In Nazareth, Jesus is developing a a following, and now he's heading home. And what's more, the healer is coming back to heal. The worker of miracles is coming home to work miracles. If you thought what he was doing in the surrounding region was great, imagine what Jesus is going to do when he gets home. And if you read these 16 verses closely, you can feel not only the air of expectation, but one of entitlement as well. Listen closely, Minnesotans. Jesus is one of us. And he's going to do big things for us. The people in Nazareth, the people at the synagogue are ready. Not so much for what Jesus has to offer, but for what he's going to do for them. The people's expectations, and that's immediately contrasted with Jesus' unexpected ministry. Having set up this tension, the people must have been feeling, we now focus on Jesus' actions. Jesus enters the synagogue as expected and reads publicly from the book of Isaiah as he does. And he reads this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the expectation hangs in the air. And you can feel the people thinking about the stories that they've heard of Jesus healing in the synagogues, of people coming to him and receiving their sight and walking and having demons cast out. And as Jesus re-rolls the scroll and hands it back to the attendant, he has but one simple sermon for the people of Nazareth. Today, the scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing. And again, I'm using my imagination here, but I don't think it's a big leap. Because I can bet that some in that synagogue said to themselves, that's it? That's all? Where's the healing? Where's the power? Where's the miracle? The people are confused and perplexed. And obviously, as Luke records for us, They're a little offended. But as they murmur, trying to figure out why Joseph's son wouldn't do more, wouldn't meet his reputation from among the neighboring towns, Jesus, being God, knows what they're thinking. 
And Jesus drives home the point. Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, he says, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And here, in Nazareth, Jesus doesn't heal the lame. He doesn't give sight to the blind. He doesn't cast out demons. In fact, what Jesus has done is returned to his hometown, to his home church, if you let me play fast and loose with the term, And in the mind, and in the eyes, and in the words of the people, Jesus hasn't done a single thing. Not one impressive feat of power. Not one miracle. Jesus hasn't met one expectation. I think the moral of this entire event is that it is human nature to reject Jesus. What we're seeing here in Luke 4, this reaction to Jesus' unexpected behavior and his unexpected words, this should have been entirely expected by us. John prepared us for this in the first chapter of his gospel. John writes, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus comes as God's messenger, as God's word, as the Messiah from God, as God in the flesh, and Jesus is rejected. He's rejected at his hometown in Nazareth. He's rejected by the Jews who have all this time been looking for their own type of Messiah. Jesus, though, is not a prophet and not a savior and not a Messiah who can be manipulated. And he will not be treated like some cosmic butler who gets us out of binds when we find ourselves in need. But Jesus is a Savior who has come to preach and proclaim God's word. And as such, Jesus is a Savior who has come to declare and prepare people for God's plan of salvation. Sometimes that plan involves performing miracles. Sometimes that plan involves offending sensibilities and calling your good friend Satan and flipping over tables in the temple. But always, Jesus' plan involves preaching the word. And that's what he does here in Nazareth. Notice the verbs of the Isaiah passage Jesus reads. Jesus has come to proclaim the good news. Jesus has come to proclaim liberty. Jesus has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Even the part he reads about recovering sight for the blind can refer to providing understanding rather than a miracle 
of healing. And in all of this, Jesus' goal, as he marches steadily toward the cross, is to make people aware of God's plan for salvation for all humanity. Sometimes that plan involves miracles so that people can understand his divine power to save. Sometimes that plan involves offending sensibilities so that people would repent and receive the gospel. But always that plan involves preaching the word. And so as Jesus does this, as Jesus delivers God's message, and as Jesus is God's message, Jesus is rejected. He is rejected by people who want miracles and an opportunity to inflate their pride and increase their prestige. He's rejected by people who want Jesus to ride into Jerusalem and sweep away the Romans and restore the Jews to a place of political power. He's rejected by people who want Jesus' ministry to be all about social good. Included in Jesus' ministry is a message about liberation for the oppressed and help for the poor and care for the less fortunate. But all of that is always done in service to the gospel, not as the end in and of itself. But for our purposes today, we have to recognize that as we identify this pattern, Jesus has been rejected by us too. He's been rejected by us not only in our rebellion against God in our sin, because Jesus is God, but he's been rejected by us when we want him to do something for us and he responds to our prayers not with what we want, but what we need. How many of us have seen people in our lives grow embittered in their faith when a prayer goes unanswered? at least according to their perception. Or rather, maybe, how many of us have experienced that same bitterness and disappointment? But here's what we know about God's activity in the midst of our disappointment. God does not always perform a miracle, although sometimes he does. But God always knows our pain. God always knows our disappointment, and God always cares. That's why when Jesus is rejected by us, we're shown the same reality as when Jesus is rejected by the Jews in Nazareth, as in, and as when Jesus is rejected by the Jews in Jerusalem. Jesus, in being rejected, dies for us. This is the action Jesus does that is most consistent with the message of Scripture that Jesus fulfills in Luke 4. But why? Why, during times of obvious material need and earnest desire for God's action, is this the outcome? Why are we in our lives sometimes met with silence when we pray? Again, it's not because God doesn't care, and it's not because he is unnecessarily harsh with us. 
It's because that while sometimes God will provide for our material and temporal needs, He always wants to provide for our spiritual and eternal needs. He always wants us to have the comfort of forgiveness and the assurance of eternity and the hope of the resurrection. Every single prayer we pray, every single desire we have, every single problem we experience is answered by God's plan for salvation. Maybe not in the way we would like it, but absolutely in the way that God has provided. A perfect, complete, and lasting way. When Jesus comes into Nazareth, he comes to preach and proclaim the gospel to people who need to be forgiven, and need to be saved, and need to receive eternal life. And when Jesus comes to us each Sunday in the divine service, he comes to people who need to be forgiven, who need to be saved, and who need to receive eternal life. And in every service, and at every time the word is preached, Jesus shows up and he comes proclaiming the year of God's favor. And he does this without fail every time. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.